This episode of the Active Topical Banter Show is brought to you by Gamefly.com, in-home streaming service for video games and a few movies, 8,000 titles for you to choose from. Start your free trial right now with GameflyOffer.com slash RPGamer. I'm Commander Ship, and this is my favorite podcast on the internet. Editorial Roundtable Podcast. My name is Scott Walker, and joining me for this recording are my co-hosts. I'm Huey. Oh god, I guess I'm Louie. Does that make me Dewey? You're is the, it, is it Dewey? You're the uh, evil twin. Is it wrong that we just immediately knew what she was going for without any kind of preparation other than, hey, I've got an intro? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, I feel like someone should have spoiled the whole scenario by being webby. Webby? Scott, you're webby. It's fine. You're webby gale. Bugger fine. all if, that. If, 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 if Scott's webby, then Sam is weeboo. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Trent. You're welcome. Alright, good Screw intro! I'm, I'm Scrooge McDuck, then. Oh, really? Can I get two bucks to run this show? <laughs> no. <laughs> Can I be? I think you're asking the wrong person. Can I be? I want to be Gizmo Duck when I grow up. Coming. Can I be Darkwing Duck? No, you're his daughter. What? I'm so confused right now. It's okay. Then again, we have a topic. I live perpetually in the state. It seems like so. We have a topic right. apparently that's not Ducktales, but it should be Ducktales. It's fine. I'm too sober. I I am too sober for this. Uh, but our topic tonight in this magical thing we pretend we're good at. You mean we're not? Hey, I work really hard. (laughs) Yeah. And then you give me dirty looks when I fail. Hey, it was worth it. It was a good shot. This is my marriage, people. It's okay. All right. Topical. All right. So, so, so our topic for the, for this episode is, um, open world gaming. We are, we're talking about the open world RPG. And, um, I guess, uh, as we often do, I'm going to try to, put this cart into at least the wheel ruts of the last cart by defining some terms. Um, In this case, I'm going to talk about the fact that much like everything we do, this whole thing we call genre does exist on a spectrum. And it is a spectrum, not a really hard binary choice, but it is the fact that the nonlinear RPG exists between being a theme park and being a sandbox. And uh, this comes to us by way of MMO design, uh, these terms, so I'm not just making them up. But uh, in this case, a theme park refers to, uh, uh, wow, in particular comes to mind, but the idea that 
Sure, you can go about things in a different order, but ultimately, everything's pretty much scripted. Like, you walk into Disney World, you can choose which rides you go on, but you opt into a ride and you're getting a very specific uh, experience in a very specific order, and it's all been engineered to the park designer's goals. Whereas you have a steam, whereas you have a sandbox, like your eaves, where... You just throw a bunch of sims systems down, and stuff happens. And obviously, video games lean pretty hard into the theme park territory, but some more than others, and that'll be a thing that is for us to talk about. And I'm going to throw this to Trent, because I'm sure he has thoughts. So, just to take a step back, you mentioned Eves. Is Eves open world? Would you classify it as open world? Well, I mean, there's... No direction at all, right? Like, you have a bunch of planets, and... Oh, you're talking Eve Online, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said Ease. No, like, I, I, I said Eve. Like, like Ease, I'm, I'm thinking, like, how is Ease, as <laughs> I understand it, an open no. world game? Eve. Nope. Eve Online, it's fine. Yeah, Eve Online's okay. beyond open world, it's open everything. They might as well let you develop that game for them, because it is so do-it-yourself. Right. That's one of those experiences where it's you can do whatever you want, how you want. And by the way, I'm going to attack you when you're not playing the game. Yay! It's a great idea, right? I don't know. It well, is. it's an idea. It's yeah, an idea. It, it is definitely an idea. That's it does, for sure. Doesn't, doesn't turn my crank. But. No, it doesn't turn my crank either. I think, you know, as someone who went to college with crazy Eve fans and they'd be like, I got to protect my borders. Hold on a sec. I'd be like, what borders? That's stupid. Okay. I don't yeah. really know much about the MMOs. I'm not going to lie. The closest thing to an MMO I play is Overwatch, and that really doesn't count. Well, I can't. So, and now, to, I, to that point, to to that point, like when, when we're talking open world games, are are we including MMOs? Because by virtue of the MMO RPG design, they tend to be fairly expansive, and I think that's just due to a, a need for variety and uh, enough variety, not only in terms of things to do, but places to explore. Whereas, yeah. When, when I think about open world games from a genre perspective, I guess I'm I'm traditionally thinking of Western RPGs like The Witcher Same. or Elder Scrolls or Mass Effect or other Bioware titles, for instance. Yeah, I I, I jump to uh, MMOs specifically because they have to think about this question basically out of the gate, right? Because you have Something like EverQuest, which has zones where everything is leveled, but if you want to find story, it's basically down to reading and digging around, and then, oh, you find this ring and there's an inscription on it, and if you give it to the guy, he tells you a story, compared to, uh, let's, let's, let's wang on the Old Republic, where, you know, they just beat you in the face with exposition and quest hooks the second you get to, uh, a zone where you can talk to people, until you uh, are have run out of exposition and quest hooks and then have to go out into the world where you don't talk to people, but instead shoot them with lasers. Well, I, I feel like most MMORPGs are just chock full of expo like needless exposition. Like it's almost trying to validate the existence of NPCs in a world that by virtue of design, probably doesn't need most NPCs. Well, that that's why <laughs> Eve exists is this great example where... No one other than players matter, right? Right. I wish more RPGs were like that. Granted, I one of the few 
MMORPGs that I really dig, and you guys know this, and because uh, I've talked about it extensively every time we do JRPG July, is uh, Final Fantasy XIV. Um, mm-hmm. And that is a super dialogue and plot-heavy RPG, and uh, virtually none of it has actual dialogue it's it's all text boxes it's almost like playing a trails of the sky game (laughs) (laughs) it is until yeah they've just recently in the later patches of a realm reborn and into heavensward started adding a lot more dialogue like spoken dialogue instead of just text but they're yeah a whole new world right like (laughs) there's a lot a lot of dialogue yeah and i mean from a world building perspective I, i think that's really interesting but at the same time like you're you're catering to a certain type of gamer when you're creating something that's so verbose, right? And yeah. and certainly not every I, if you play a game like WoW, obviously there's some needless chatter in between quests, and I'm sure a lot of people just speed through those dialogue boxes without actually bothering to read them. But in a game like Final Fantasy fourteen, like there's necessity to reading those. And and you benefit from reading because it's usually fairly well written, but at the same time, like it, it, it's a slow crawl to make progress in that kind of game relative to other MMOs. Yeah, I think all MMOs really do have that element of open worldness, and there's, like you said, there's varying degrees of the open worldness that kind of takes place in there. But all of them seem to have some aspect of it. Even going back to one of the more, I guess, restrictive ones, Final Fantasy Eleven, it even kind of cut you off a little more than some of them because it gated so much content behind levels. I mean, you could go anywhere up until the expansions and there were just certain spaces that you had to follow a specific level or complete specific quests to get to. So it kind of broke away from the go anywhere, do anything type thing like Skyrim or Elder Scrolls Online or something like that would have where it really is just go anywhere, do anything, take any direction that you feel like. But I think most MMOs really, in one way or another, still kind of harken back to that open-world style, open-world feel. Well, Some and are just I, I guess from better. that point, I'm going to step back into the single-player realm where all of us are happy, including, <laughs> I'm guessing, most of our listeners. I'm going to guess. Uh, <laughs> by talking about Gates and Breadcrumbs, because I think that there is sort of this tendency where you, um, even in a supposedly non-linear game in the Western mold, where you just sort of hit hub zone B, and you have a whole bunch of options in front of you, and you run around and do that until you sort of hit the level where the gate doesn't feel like a big deal and you can move into hub zone C, forms a little trail for you to follow along story-wise, even if it's not... Like, it, there, there's not, like, a strict linearity, but there is this semi-enforced linearity, and I'm gonna point at, like, say, Borderlands 1 for this as being a really good example, where, you know, you, you show up in Town A, you do, you do, let's say, 8 out of 10 of Town A's quests, and now you can move to Town B, because the rewards on those last two just aren't really worth it, right? There are fewer and fewer games that are either willing to let you wander off into the deep end of the pool and drown or there are or or they've just developed systems where everything auto scales and there is no deep end of the pool yeah and anything that you get from 
Bethesda is pretty much that option where you can go anywhere at any point in time and it doesn't really matter what the characters or what you're running into because everything's going to scale in some way, it seems like. Well, yes and, and no. Remember, you can still accidentally find, you know, a Meyer Alert Queen and it eat your face and you being like level three and the Meyer Alert Queen going, I'm still bigger than you. My level is still higher <laughs> yeah, than you. Well, that, that's, and that's more because are, it's a special encounter those, more those than anything Those are super else. rare scripted encounters, yeah. right? Where clearly you have wandered off, you, you have opted off the breadcrumb trail and you found yourself something, oh, you found something that was on it and we can't fake it like uh, getting into fights on the Brotherhood airship. So, oh uh, yeah, there, there's just, you're level two and you wandered over to the castle and uh, good luck, chief. Yeah. I think there are games that are good at that. Like, for the most part, what I've always liked about Fallout, and to an extent, I guess, um, the Elder Scrolls games, is that there is a lot of freedom, at, at least at the very beginning. But the problem with their breadcrumb quests is that generally, you'd have to be an idiot not to figure them out most of the time. Like, there's nothing really interesting or engaging when you're doing them. Like, and I point to Fallout 4 in particular for this, where you have to go find Kellogg. I'm still trying to figure out how those lit cigarettes, you know, totally have survived the apocalypse. No one touched them for eight years. It's yeah, fine. It's la, fine. La, 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 la. Um, don't, don't, but don't it's, but it's, it is a kind of a stupid quest to just to get I, you to oh, the next point city. Like, I don't, I don't want to be I don't want to be that guy, but I feel like Bethesda games in particular have not stood the test of time. No, they haven't. I, I, I know that when Skyrim came out, we were all in infatuated with it i certainly was i the degree of freedom or at least perceived freedom was like crazy you know there was dynamic questing i could be running down a pathway and suddenly i'm chasing after a butterfly and then and then we dragon I, I i run into a dog that talks and then i have to decide whether i'm going to kill it or not for a demonic weapon i mean like so, some of the questing was really neat but in in a world of the witcher 3 where uh, there's so much substance to the side quests yeah. uh and where i'm not constantly following marks on a compass from point a to point b and i actually have to think about where i'm going next and what i'm collecting and who i'm talking to and all the npcs actually seem to have some degree of realness to them it just makes the the sort of games that uh Certainly Bethesda, but also I've noticed kind of Bioware too uh, feel kind of hollow. Like they they're really starting to feel dated, and and I don't feel like the effort is there to really bring them forward. All I'm seeing is a more dialogue, more quests, more NPCs, and, and, well, slightly, and I'm going to talk about graphics. a question of density versus surface area, right? Like Which is the actually Witcher, what I wanted to bring up. The, the Witcher uh, is going to put a story into everything even if it is literally just hey here's a note that leads to a treasure box and that note has some character to it and the treasure box is going to resolve that character and all you did was find a dead guy and find the dead guy's stuff a half mile away right but you become invested in the way that the story is being told whereas, whereas Bethesda's Bethesda suffering in that regard does not offer you like, does not offer characterization beyond pointing at things for the player to do. Like, every yeah. character in The Witcher has an agenda. The only agenda of a Bethesda character is telling the player things they ought do. Yeah, and that's right. that's a larger problem just in what you were saying, Trent, 
I mean, it does feel hollower. Like, as someone who just finished playing Fallout 4, I think that's a great example where you have, again, this ginormous world, but the storytelling is one of those situations where it feels like too many hands were in the pot and nothing felt cohesive. Whereas when you play a game like The Witcher, all the cohesion's there because it seems like there's this sense that everything is working together. And in the Bethesda games, I don't feel like that's the case, especially like I look at Fallout 4 and I think it's a hot mess. I think when you look at, for it's example, it is. Well, <laughs> it's funny because when you look at, for example, the DLC Far Harbor, that actually has a very densely written story that overlays a really beautiful and kind of creepy world. And it's the opposite of everything that actually stands in that game. And it's right. because someone has taken the time to develop this almost creepy maritime island into something it's, it's, very sinister. It's, 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 and it has personality. Everyone, everyone has told me, oh, well, you didn't really like Fallout 4. You should get the DLC because the DLC is actually really good. Well, that, that's, that's, a, so, that's a problem in itself. That's, that's so aggravating. Yes, like, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if, there's, if there's quality content, put it in the game. Focus first on making an engaging experience that makes people want to buy DLC. Yes, you know, exactly. I don't, I don't want to have to go looking elsewhere for quality content. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. And that's what's frustrating about something like Fallout 4, whereas, and Mac, I'm sure you'll agree with me, this is the opposite problem in Fallout New Vegas. Well, no, because Fallout New Vegas also had two really great DLC chapters out of four. Yeah. And one was fine, and the other one was, why the fuck did but you, you know bother? What? But, I mean, we did our DLC episode, and I think it's interesting to see how that interfaces with these problems, because... All of a sudden you have this issue where, okay, you're going to staple a few things onto the map and to justify the price tag, you're going to have to fill it in and you fill it in maybe tighter than you might have in other spaces where, yeah, we're only adding a quarter mile, but guess what? Writing is cheaper than art, so we filled that quarter mile a hell of a lot better than we did the first time. Well, and and that's just it. I mean... You know, I look at the difference between New Vegas and Fallout 4 and Fallout 3. Part of it really is, I think, Obsidian had a better idea of what kind of freedom they wanted the player to have using an engine that wasn't theirs. And I think when you look at the degrees of storytelling and the way in which the Mojave Desert comes to life in a lot of ways, they they did a better job of making something more compelling in that open space. Whereas when I look at Fallout 4, and even to an extent something like Skyrim, it seems like it's only in the densest of spaces that the interesting things happen and that the rest of that open world is a void mm-hmm. and there's right. not enough happening. So it's like you're wandering around, you know, you're killing bunny rabbits, you're doing your thing. But at the end of the day, you don't have a pull. There's no pull to draw you back. And, I, and for me personally, as somebody who likes story, this is one of my hardships with open world games is that sometimes I find the world is too big, but the denser parts are always the parts I like more. That's why like, I love the Yakuza series and why I'm going to bring that up, because that's an open world game as well. But the spaces are smaller and the world is lively. So you want to go and talk to random NPCs. You want to do the random bizarre quests of running, you know, a cabaret club. And every location that you end up at is the right size. Like, it's just enough. It's not enough that you get lost and feel like... It's overwhelming. And that's it, where I think in the opportunity to give players freedom and throw a lot of empowerment that way, 
story does suffer, and some of that is just by virtue of the fact that, you know what, you can't, you have to, the, the, you know, narrative structure is kind of linear, or very linear. I mean, Tristram Shandy aside, I can't think of a non-linear novel. Read Tristram Shandy, by the way. Um, you mean that isn't just a choose-your-own-adventure book? No, those are super linear, They too. are super linear, too. <laughs> there's only I one right- I had to think right- about that for a second, I'm like, wait. There, there's one right way to play that, and it's a bit like Zork. You mean uh, it's always picking path B? Well, no, I mean that if you pick the wrong path, you get eaten by a Gru, even if you're <laughs> reading- a, Yeah. A, even if it's not Zork. But, I mean, there's, there's something to be <laughs> said. And, I mean- uh, points to uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X for just sort of saying, "Yes, bugger it, right?" Oh. Like bug. Oh no, no! I'm gonna, had, I'm gonna. I was gonna. <laughs> say, no, I love before it. you even go there, I was, I was gonna say something about Xenoblade Chronicles before no. you added the X to it. Yeah, Xenoblade okay. X just sort of said, "Bugger it, you are Task Force Problem Solver. Go, go to the problem board where everything's in text and go do problems." I mean, obviously, uh, CD Projekt did that a lot better with The Witcher, where, yeah, there was a linear story, but there were tons of tiny <laughs> stories you could it's... find or opt okay. into. Okay, all right. So so the reason why I feel <laughs> Witcher, Witcher 3's uh, smaller pieces of content, some things that I wouldn't even really classify as side quests, just like really fetchy sort of stuff, it still kind of resonated with you because... There was a degree of characterization behind all of these events. Even if you are just looking for the treasure chest remains of someone who died uh, 20 years before the plot of Witcher 3, right? There's something there. Whereas Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I find this in a lot of open world games, has a lot of smaller pieces of content uh, that amount to just a text box that's telling you to go do this thing. And doing this thing really does amount to going from point A to point B and killing thing or finding thing and going back. And in a world of uh, 2001 EverQuest, that might have been okay. But in 2016 or 2015, when the game was released, not so much. And certainly not so much today. It, it lacks substance. It lacks style. It's all filler. <laughs> all right. It's, but, it's a complete but, waste of time. Yes, but I completely agree. But before we go on too much of a Xenoblade X tangent, <laughs> let me talk a little bit about the original Xenoblade and how it did so many things right. Because it handled the merging of what I find as the JRPG... Standard linearity, uh, linearity, the linearity that comes with a JRPG with open world exploration. It gave you a bunch of fantastic zones that were humongous and you could explore to your heart's content. Or you could, you know, A to B, continue on with the story if you wanted to. It gave you that option. And yes, there were tons of side quests that you could do. You could ignore every one of them. It didn't matter. You could accept all the quests and just complete them as you went and not have to go back to the quest giver most of the time. It gave me that perfect balance of open-worldness and you know standard JRPG storytelling, characterization. It did everything right. And while I completely agree with you, Trent, about X being not up to par on that stuff and that's one of the biggest things that turned me off from that and one of the biggest reasons i was glad to see that you know it was xenoblade 2 that got announced for switch instead of like a port of xenoblade x because that's what i want from open worlds i want a reason to continue the story be it 
in like a Fallout game where I'm just going all around the world and finding side quests here and there and just, you know, exploring every little nook and cranny. Or if I'm going out into a gigantic world and just killing a bunch of monsters as I want to and then leaving if I don't, you know, I love that option. I don't want to be put into a, like you said, a, a checkbox list where you just have to go through the whole list of, oh, well, I found part A, B, C, and D, and that is my, you know, path to the next story quest or to the next character. Nothing fun about that. Yeah. All right. So I, I'm actually going to spin this and say that, um, you know, um, Gonna gonna point my finger at a recent title, and I think Trent can join me in this. Is that um, there there are there are plenty of games where you just throw systems down and a story emerges after the fact. Like football doesn't have a narrative until you talk to a football fan after the se- the season's over, and all of a sudden there is a story. And I think if you put a bunch of systems down and let people run around, you get these emergent stories of exploration and adventure which is what I think Zelda is, the most recent Zelda is facilitating, where it is just this, you know, madcap thing where it's like, okay, so I hit everybody with the lightning rod, and they dropped all their stuff, but then I got hit, so I dropped my stuff, and they started hitting me with it, and it it was hilarious, and then I died. And I think there's room for sort of taking the sandbox view, not of the actual uh, gameplay, but just sort of letting story emerge from systems and fewer and fewer open world games are engaging with that idea just put down unobjective and let things happen right so so to that point um i like many people have been playing quite a bit of breath of the wild and um what i found uh is that it's a game in which a lot of the core narrative uh, takes place a hundred years ago <laughs> and and you're not really active uh, in the events of the game until towards the end of your your main quest uh, and I've also found that a lot of the individual what they would call side quests are similar to uh, games like Bethesda's uh, open worlds uh, Skyrims or fallouts in that they're telling you to do these menial tasks but the interesting thing about breath of the wild that actually provides a bit of freshness that you don't see in those games is that there's 80 ways of doing each one of them there's so much freedom in in the fact that this huge open world is is so dependent on physics and the way that you approach problem solving that that it creates uh almost a new dimension to the way that quests get completed so it doesn't feel like you're following a compass and going from point A to point B. It feels like you're actually invested in everything that's happening. And I think that's why gameplay videos of completing different quests or combat trials or shrines in, in, in new and innovative ways are becoming so popular on YouTube these days. I kind of miss the days where in a Bethesda game I could be incredibly stupid with how I completed an objective. Trent, did I ever tell you the time I murdered the president? Okay, well, that's not that wasn't a Bethesda game anymore. Sorry, that no. was an Obsidian game. That was Obsidian. But let me tell you about throwings. how I murdered the president. <laughs> <laughs> because it's pretty great. Now, there, there's this whole thing where they're like, they, they give you the breadcrumb trail of, hey, look, you can pose as a mechanic and blow up his helicopter and you can sneak around and bribe people to help you do that. Or, or you can punch him and run away. Now, <laughs> Sam, when presented with an opportunity to talk to people and engaged with uh, the skill system of a Fallout game, or to punch a guy and run away, what do you think Sam picked? 
<laughs> Punching a guy and running away. I played yakety sax while she did it. Yes. <laughs> because in my mind, it's like I was standing in the crowd and I was like, well, I'm just going to go into bats. Oh, I don't have a weapon, but I still think I can kill him. So I punched him to death. And then when everybody noticed two seconds later that, oh, the president is dead, I bolted. And I nice. I love that kind like it's like you were saying, Trent, when you have ways in which you can do a task in different ways, why not? Like, yeah. well, the game is trying to tell me you should do it this way. I opted for my own way. And yeah. I feel like my way is 10 times more memorable. Well, and that's another thing. Like yeah. in Zelda, the game, the game doesn't even tell you do it this way. It just says, get it done. You know, whereas figure it out some, when you're playing like a Bioware game and I'm going to pick on Dragon Age three. I mean, yeah. you go to a place, you have a scripted event, people pull out their weapons, you fight a battle in which you either have the right weapon loadout, magic loadout and character party uh, and succeed or fail. And then a scripted event happens. And, and again, like I, I like some of those scripted events, but I don't feel like I have agency. And the thing that I really find appealing about Zelda is is how much freedom you have to approach different problems. I think one of the issues with open world games, and I guess not in Zelda's case, is whatever happened to fun problem solving? <laughs> um, like, it, it, let's... <laughs> can, can you write a book that has that title? <laughs> fun problem? Because honestly... Well, the, like... the answer is what happened is Looking Glass Studios closed. And oh. I... I I miss games where it's it's fun to problem solve in a way where it's like, you know, the game is suggesting I do this or saying get this done. And like I can think of numerous situations <coughs> in games where it's like, I don't have the right tools for this, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Saints Row yeah. always comes to mind in this because every time I play Saints Row, sometimes I'm just not equipped to do things because I didn't either buy ammo because... Why do you need ammo when you have superpowers and you can just super kick people? Like, honestly. And my, my solution to every problem was, I'm just going to punt kick everybody, galactic punt in the air, and then run away because I have super speed. And that's how I solve a problem. And the fact that most games are like, no, this is the specific way that you need to do this is kind of infuriating. Because it's like, well, no, now you're taking that immersion away and it's like, so you're telling me I have to do it this way or else it doesn't work or I fail the mission or and I think that's yeah. kind of shit. It's it's very prescriptive and it it I feel like it really does kind of hamper the immersion. Well, it makes um, the assumption I, that everyone should play the same way and that everybody's brains think the same way. Right. Well, it's, it's do it again stupid gameplay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um now I obviously I I'm sure we've all seen the memes for Mass Effect Andromeda. I, I personally haven't taken the plunge and played the game yet. Um, given what I've heard through the grapevine, I don't think I'll be picking it up until it's on substantive discount. Well, you you have a tiny human coming, so that's a perfect excuse to ignore video games for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I won't be. I, to, to be fair, I won't be purchasing too many video games at all in the future. <laughs> the thing that I keep hearing about Mass Effect Andromeda is that uh, it's it's the perfect game for people who are into third person shooters. Uh, and don't want to have to think too much about where they're where they're going next, uh, and that's really frustrating for me to hear because the thing that got me excited about this game was A that it was a new being... galaxy to explore, right? Exactly, it was being positioned as less of a Star Wars epic 
and more of a Star Trek in which I get to explore a new galaxy and and choose how I interact with aliens and inhabit a planet. And I and, and I'm sure there are subsystems and different mechanics there that that allow me to invest my time and energy into making different well, locales I just more livable. A, I just but. want a morality wheel that is Kirk, <laughs> Picard, <laughs> Cisco, Janeway. Oh, so you, you want uh, a morality wheel that's based on how sexable you are. So we're still ignoring <laughs> the existence of Scott Bakula. There's, look, we already have Janeway as the crazy option. What don't makes no sense compared so we're to the still last ignoring thing Scott you chose. Bakula. I don't see how Duchess fits into that. Well, I feel like you should be fair to people who like Duchess. I'm sorry. Nobody likes Duchess. Yeah, that's a fair point. Mac, do you like Duchess or what we're talking about? I don't even know who Duchess is. <laughs> what are you? What is Duchess? Star so, Trek. So Duchess is the stupid, crazy, homeless person what poses as uh, Captain Archer of the Starship Enterprise in the TV show uh. Enterprise, but but is clearly not a Starship captain. Otherwise, they see. Do see, if we were using sense. Babylon Five as a point of reference, Mac would know instantly. Yeah, but I've there's no the stupid, crazy people Enterprise. in Babylon 5. That's yeah. usually because everybody ignores Enterprise. That's kind of the rule. Well, except for the episode. except for the final episode, but that's only because Riker is in it, right? Riker and his <laughs> magnificent beard. But this is what I mean. And, and, and his magnificent wife. I said beard. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what are you what are you trying to suggest i'm ju- I'm just saying he never seems to seal the deal with the hot alien of the week in seasons uh one through four i don't i don't think he was meant to be a replacement uh kirk but i think that's a conversation for another day probably yeah, that's a whole different show yes now <laughs> yeah. can we go back to open world games that are not star trek i guess <laughs> like, I mean, I, I picked up Andromeda mostly because I wanted to support. No, Sam. No, no, no I have my own no. reason. I have my own reason, and that's because a friend of mine was one of the writers on it. I picked. And, and, I got and, and, it. I got it because I want to actually play it and judge it for myself instead too. of that too. But being shot down because I actually didn't have a problem with the last 15 minutes of the Mass Effect 3 drama that everybody else seemed to hate. Oh, so I'm not going to go with the internet. I, I, I have I'm so like, many with problems with Mass mind. Effect 3. I have so many problems with oh, Mass no. Effect 3. So uh, many problems uh, with Mass Effect 3. I can't even reiterate uh, how <laughs> how much of a, a freefall this franchise went into the mediocrity that is third-person shooter. Uh, it, it got so dumbed well, down in, in all of its subsystems. Uh, it, it got so less ambitious as time went on in terms of the way it delivered plot events. And and yeah, as well, well in terms of... I disagree. But know, that's a, it, that's it, a it different abso- no. podcast, too. You may have Mac. already done it. <laughs> it's okay, We, we have... The, the, the first Mass Effect is, is so focused on on philosophies and and is it right to save a certain species or not there there's so much going on and and you still have a few of those plot points in mass effect 2 but when you get to Ma- mass effect 3 it it, it becomes such a uh, it becomes it, such an apocalyptic shooter with with it, it, it's almost like michael bay was directing it and and it's just pearl harbor in in space you know it, it just bombastic for the sake of bombastic which ultimately boiled down into uh, a binary choice 
that doesn't even make sense in the context of the trilogy. I, I have so many issues with Mass Effect 3, so I was so excited to hear that Andromeda would be such a departure. And and finding out that it, it well, is more... congratulations, it, you got what you wanted. <laughs> it, it, no, it, it isn't, though. It isn't, because it's, it's an... It's you got a, a further, departure, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it's, it's not. It, it's a further descent into the void that is a bro shooter. That's right. what I'm hearing. But, Michael, so I, 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 and I guess you about the topic at hand. Mag <laughs> and Trent and I can talk about Mass Effect somewhere else. Maybe, maybe okay. a few episodes <laughs> down the road. Sound fair? Supplement episode, where Mac and I don't have to be here. Fair enough. Oh, no, I'll gladly go into some Mass Effect defense. All, all I want is just my dating sim. Thing. What all I want from life was just... What do you want from me? I feel like you as Team Handheld are not a person who goes into the pool of um, of the open world game. So what is it that you want to see in a game that lets you uh, kick around a bit more than uh, the Vita usually lets you? Well, see, that's the crazy things. I do play a heck of a lot of open world games. He does. On console. He likes his um, hamalamalamalers and his followers. Yeah. And th that's why I was curious why Mass Effect was even brought in there, because that's the last thing I think of when I consider an open world game. Me I know too. it's got Point for more Mac. open areas, but oh man. The... I would say Dragon Age is actually the more <clears throat> open yeah. of the two. I think Dragon Age has more of that, but even it still doesn't feel like... When I think open world, I think Skyrim. I think Fallout, I think the new Zelda, I think of Xenoblade, I think of Final Fantasy XV, you know, because it really gave the first half of that game was... Would you now, say it's the first half, though? Because when you, think of, when you think of everything that's chapter 8 until chapter the end of chapter 13, mm -hmm. it's, it's linear, certainly, but it's not a whole half of the game, if anything. I spent like, about half my time in the open world part and the rest of the half in the linear parts. Really? I For me, I, I spent probably... Well, my, my, my game has uh, 110 hours. and I, would I say did not spend nearly 110 hours, so that's I, where I, I'm coming my, off. <laughs> my, my game has about 110 hours, and I would say maybe 10 of those hours were in those linear sections. I think I spent about 13 of those in the linear sections and about 13 in the open world part. So, Wow, you just blazed you blazed through it then, didn't you? <laughs> uh, no, I take that back. I think I beat it at 35 hours. Mac is good at that. those, though, where he will play games faster <laughs> than most of us well, do. Well, in terms of and time. Especially open world games. And Glenn never lets me live this down. The fact that I beat like Oblivion when I was playing it back in the day, and I can't remember exactly... It was less than uh, five hours I, or something, yeah, wasn't it? It wasn't that bad, and I'm trying to pull up the data on it right now, but I played Oblivion, and... Um, <laughs> how do you spell Oblivion? Um, <laughs> I, I beat the main game in 14 hours. There you go. And I was like level four when I beat that it. That was what it was. So, I remember you know, that. I did, I did do the level ups and things scaled with me and I played it on easy and I just didn't give a crap about anything. And I was like, I'm just going to get through this so I can say I've finished it. And, you know, a lot of times that's what I'll do with just any RPG. I find the path of least resistance. But I think even, even in that kind of game, though, like when I was playing Oblivion on the 360, the thing that was driving me um, and granted, I was much younger at the time was uh, achievements. Because every key event that happens in the game, every major accomplishment is attached to like a 25 gamer score 
uh, achievement. And and I I that was the first game I think a thousand on the Xbox 360. Yeah, I never achievement hunt. I just let them come naturally. I love achievements to see how I did things, but I don't hunt them. Um, but yeah, nothing about that game really stuck with me. Skyrim did, and Fallout 3 did. Uh, Fallout 3 is really the game that kind of got me into these. But even still, I mean, going on Scott's questions, there's not a whole lot on handhelds that really will do anything, but I love when they attempt it. I did play Borderlands 2 on there. I played Xenoblade on the 3DS. And, you know, a lot of the newer games that are coming out, some of them do have some open world, op- more open world aspects than others do. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, Borderlands, to be honest, just in terms of its quest delivery. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel uh, like joke, joke, pop culture reference, do some bare assing pop culture reference, right? <laughs> well, I, 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 and, and it's, it, the, the only reason why I kept playing Borderlands 2 is because I really liked the writing. I yeah. really, really liked the writing, but yeah, I never played terms, the first one. In, in terms of like uh, the the game's progression or going from area to area, I just felt like there was nothing to see and there was not a ton of fun stuff to do outside. Well, there's there's of, nothing to learn except yeah. how how good you are at shooting, uh, putting bullets in guys' faces, right? If that's your thing, I mean. It, it's a great amalgam of open world RPG elements with shooting people in the face. But I, I'm not so hard up for for shooters these days. <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's and that's it. Like we have this question where okay, story does kind of get lost unless you're Polish, apparently. Well, and, and you have to like hang on the gameplay. And much as we bag on bethesda they're really good at putting together a player facing empowerment loop right true yeah but i feel like that's starting to lose luster isn't it well i think and that's it like ubisoft is sort of say is has tried to be bethesda too often and now now that luster is going and i mean points to zero dawn for putting a lot of cool stuff minute to minute in the game and also having just a cool world to be in, and... Well, you know what I like about... The story apparently heats up soon enough, I'll get there. You know what? What I like about Horizon, for what it's worth, is the world is just the right size. There is something about it, it doesn't feel overwhelming. Like, when you look at the map, the map's pretty big. But it's not like it's, you know, Bethesda big. It's it's close to Assassin's Creed big, I would say. Yeah, but with the... But with the right amounts of... The right amount of density of content yes. where it is... You you run into things and it doesn't feel and I'm gonna bring back the MMO analogy for Horizon. There there are there are not trash mobs that you have to <laughs> force your way past. No. One thing that Horizon like does well is you, everything's organic. Well no, I'm I'm gonna point out the fact that when you wander into a zone what spawns enemies, yeah. it's predictable and it'll show up on your map. Yeah. And there are your non threatening smaller things that you often just steal uh, to ride along. And then there is two things you gotta worry about. I like when the monsters have... attack each other. I find and, that and entertaining, because that happens and, a lot. <laughs> and you just have to stop and figure out, how do I take down two laser tigers with what I have right now? Because to get to my <laughs> next plot point, I have there to are these. two laser tigers. You know what, though? And also points, and some of the, and I'm going to say some of it does come down to imagination. Robot dinosaurs are new and interesting every time. Well, you know what I also like is that (laughs) 
Aloy as a character is not overpowering in any way. Like a lot of the issues with like with Bethesda games and with a lot of open world games is that the player character becomes overpowered very quickly. Like you have too much too often and, and it, it doesn't matter what they throw yeah, at you. And what I like about Gorilla's interpretation for an RPG is that Aloy has to use very primitive tools to basically figure out how to deal with a lot of this stuff. You are almost always at a disadvantage. Well, it's not even that you're primitive. It's that you're limited. Like, Sorry, limited is a better word. I mean, I, I mean, bow and arrow aside, you... You have traps. That you you can have use. your traps. You have your pyrotechnics. But at the end of the day, resources are just scarce enough that you don't have maximum amount of everything for every problem. So you're going to be a point where you're like, oh, God. You have to improvise. Ti- laser tigers, what do I have that might take care of these? Uh, Like, you have to really, it's about playing smart. You have to think about what you have in your arsenal. You can't just be like, that fixes everything. I got that. This is great. Um, There's a lot of thinking involved with Horizon, and I'm liking it for that reason. I look at my encounters and I go, okay, there are a bunch of gazelles. I'm going to light one on fire and watch them all explode so that I can walk through this area and hopefully not get attacked by something bigger. And then, oh, look. There's a mecha alligator, and he's going to eat me alive. Run, run away from the mecha alligator, because I just don't feel like I have enough resources to deal with mecha alligator. And uh, we haven't haven't mentioned Monster Hunter yet, which is another game that is kind of just leaves you to your own devices. And none of us play a lot of Monster Hunter, but I'm going to point out that this is a game that is really good at just putting you in a space that lets you direct yourself. And I think... That's an interesting idea that we don't see enough of, is this idea that, okay, here is your space, here is your ecosystem. Yeah, yeah, kill the biggest, baddest thing, and that's the end of the game. But decide how you do that and when is is really the order of the day. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can't think of too many things that do that. No, Monster Hunter is kind of a unique class in itself, given that it is very self-directed. And there's not a lot of games out there... That really just say, all right, go for it. Just pick, I, a, pick a direction I, and go and see where it takes you. And by the way, there's a giant monster. Go kill it. I, I, I can see the appeal of those kind of games, but I personally can't really connect with them. I, I find that outside of the amount of prep that has to go into it, obviously there's technique that goes into battling all these different types of monsters, but the, the amount of effort that needs to go into uh, understanding the crafting system and coming up with the best weapons and the best armor and, and uh, grabbing all these resources and going on these smaller quests to build up to these major uh, major uh, monsters that you have to hunt. I, I see, I, I guess I'm impressed with the people who are are able to play those kind of games but it just feels like so much work to me for uh what is ultimately like a a a mount on the wall like you've just killed this monster like clap clap good for you but like where does it get you next like i feel like if there's not something on a narrative you've skinned it so you can get armor so you can skin it two more times to get the shield that goes with it, and then you can go and find the bigger version of it, right? Again, it boils down to playing smart. That's the thing. I I, I get it. Like, if you're... I guess it's about 
what people are into. I, I, I only like killing really huge things that are difficult to kill if there's like a, a plot point that's driving it or if I want to see what happens in the world after it's gone. I agree. If, if it's if it's just going to respawn tomorrow and I get to kill it again and then I get to kill something bigger, but this time it's underwater. That That's not appealing to me. It's just boss fight after boss fight. Like, how is this changing the world? How is this changing my situation or my place in it? You know, that's not stimulating to me. And I guess it will be for some people, but it's just not my kind of open world. You know what? You bring up an interesting point to segue to, though, which is there are franchises out there like Zelda that are trying something different by using an open world mechanic. Instead of talking about Zelda, I actually want to talk about a different recent release that makes the attempt it's kind of interesting but it doesn't entirely work which is atelier Ferris. and the reason i want to talk about atelier Ferris is because it's the first atelier game that decided to go with an open world mechanic the problem with that is it comes from the fact that you've really got nothing that's motivating you forward well and it's weird because atelier feels like a good fit because it's a business sim yep. at the end of the day right like you are alchemist and you can theoretically go out there and grind materials and succeed as a business no matter what. But saying that, oh, it, it falls apart because it does is... Well, and that's the funny part is, like, if you play the other Atelier games, that's kind of what it is. You ha you can kind of take all the tasks in the game at your own pace, do them your own way, and come up with varying results. Fierce struggles because you have this big world... They, they kind of didn't really understand actually how to make a map, which was part of the problem. <laughs> like, you have this big world. Sounds but like that, a big problem, too. But uh, your open world map is kind of a mess, and it's not very good at directing you. So you'll have moments where you're like, there's something in a quest where you're like, go find this cow. And you're like, why is it taking me two hours to find this cow? And it's because the map doesn't, good, doesn't do a good enough job to dictate how you're supposed to go about finding things. To make matters worse, one of the larger issues with Ferris is that your payoff at the end is she has to go take an alchemy exam. You have to play a real test in the actual game. Like, you know, what's a puny? Like stupid shit like that. The, the oh, that's, that's a lot of fun. Unless you skip. But that's kind of the joke of it is that this is a franchise that should have adapted well. And it kind of falls flat on its face because it takes the open world concept, but it doesn't do anything to make that world interesting. It doesn't do enough to make it even feel real. Which is well, my this is, this is the this is the first time it's attempted though, right? Sort of, and the reason I say it's sort of is because there are games in the Arlen trilogy where, like, again, you had points on a map. Like, it's not the big expansive open world, but you had your points on the map, and it was open world in that you could hit every node any way you wanted. Sure. Whereas here, this is you know it's an actual big open landscape. So to be fair, yes, in that regard, it is the first of its kind. But I feel like compared to other Japanese RPGs that have done open world, like Xenoblade, like Yakuza, it seems like Ferris just didn't get the memo of how to make quests engaging. Well, I think a map, like a functional map, is like the functional the basis, map is is right? the problem, right? And well, that's, 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 it's just kind of funny. That's, that's just the minimum, isn't it? I, do you guys remember playing the original iteration of Final Fantasy XIV? Oh. No, but yeah, I've heard I do, the horror I stories. Do because I couldn't find anything because the map was like impossible to use. Well, and I think I'm going to point at the at Breath of the Wild again and say, hey, they give you a map, right? But there's it doesn't fill up, and they're they're good at indicating where things are through text, 
but there's not a huge... It is not necessarily... Like, it is as little as possible to get you going, right? Right. See, my, my anger with fear is also just the fact that I didn't understand how the reviewers were seeing something that I wasn't. Because a lot of them were like, open world for Atelier is the most amazing thing ever. And I totally figured out this map. And I'm thinking, bullshit, you did. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I've seen a lot of art. I've seen a lot of articles lately that have said, like, now is the time to get into Atelier games. And I kind of look at them like, no. Just no. And I'm thinking I'm thinking to myself, like, I have a hard enough time understanding Atelier games when they're linear. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, if, 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 like, Sam, you're a bit of an anomaly because you played 30 of them. But for the <laughs> no, no, she's played she's she's played 15 of them twice. <laughs> for, for the rest of us who have limited exposure to Atelier uh, and don't understand all of its systems and subsystems and microsystems, uh, I, I don't know. An open world on top of that just seems like a bit much. <laughs> it's a bit much also when the game can't explain itself. That's my other favorite part. Oh, good. Okay, but, but uh, we're, we're buttoning up on time. We are buttoning up on time. So I got to poop the party and ask everyone to wind down some final thoughts. And I'm going to start with Mac. Mine is easy. I have had so many open world games in the last little bit that I don't need a ton of them. I don't need all of my games to have open worlds anymore. They just it, it doesn't need to be a thing. I can stand some good linear, straightforward experiences, and I will be happy with that. I'll make exceptions for some games. I'm totally down with Xenoblade 2, and that is exactly what I want. Just one of those. That's the only thing I need. Other than that, give me some shorter, straightforward RPGs that I can just... Or give me more games where I can just ignore the open world parts when I feel like it and when I can take advantage of them when I do. So, just wanted to say that. So, my final thought is, why can't we have more quests like Porno Man from Yakuza 0? Well, the, well again, the, <laughs> I, there are quests like Porno Man in, in The Witcher. I mean, not literally buying magazines for prepubescent boys, but, you know, that level of writing, and not with that level of arbitrary stealth minigame in the middle of it, I liked Porno Man. I thought that was a great, great side it, quest it, it on top of delivering pizza. Comes down to what the team wants and what the team thinks they can do. And I just yeah. want to say, bless you, Sega. Bless you. And I like open world games. I don't want an oversaturation of them. Just make it fun. Make their make them have a little bit of a story beat for me because that's what I need. Um, and yeah, you know what, like. As long as we can kind of get out of this rut of samey-samey, like, I feel like we'll have a good relationship. But right now we're in samey-samey, so I'm a, I'm a little unhappy. Samey-samey does not like samey-samey. That's right. Trent? I guess uh, what I've learned uh, in playing some open world games recently is that I, I very much appreciate uh, strong story-driven games like The Witcher um, that, that make you feel like the world is, is alive. Uh, but I also appreciate games that are, are really less story intensive, like Zelda, that give you this freedom uh, not only to explore, but to figure things out. Uh, so I'm, I'm fine with almost every type of open world RPG. I'm just not a, a real fan anymore of the very prescriptive go from point A to point B and get this arbitrary thing done and then return to home base kind of thing. Um, which which is why I have such strong feelings towards uh, not only 
contemporary Bethesda games uh, and some Bioware games, but also Xenoblade Chronicles X. And that is an axe that I will never <laughs> not grind. Okay, Trent, okay, so you, you might like Horizon then because you never get to go home. It, does something bad happen to home? No, just there's no reason to actually ever go back home. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's still there and they're not cool. But um, okay, so before I do feedback, we do have to mention our sponsor for this episode, Gamefly.com. It's uh, a great little streaming service with 8,000 titles from a bunch of different consoles that go straight to your house for a really low monthly payment. You can try it out for free for one month at GameFlyOffer.com slash RPGamer. And uh, the thing I'm going to recommend for this is uh, Try Horizon Zero Dawn. It's a brand new release. You can get it right now, streaming straight to your smart TV or your um, set-top box. It is, once again, GameFlyOffer.com slash RPGamer to try that right now for nothing down. We, we did get some feedback from last episode where we were talking about how Nintendo has always been doomed. And funnily enough, Scott uh, titles the episode with something sensationalistic and eye-grabbing, and, oh, Nintendo's in the title, and everyone crawls out of the word work to becray. <laughs> That's how that works. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. Um, I think uh, sort of Golbez perhaps um, misapprehended something I said or how someone else responded. And I think, um, I don't know, there, there was a weird tangent about RPG Maker in there that I never quite get. <laughs> but I do want to address uh, one specific thing uh, from Victar. The NES was doomed from the outset. We did address that in the episode proper. And that the Super NES's doom was the fact that they didn't rush to compete with uh, the guys that were jumping on 32-bit machines at the time. And that turned out to be great, but... At the time, everyone was convinced that was going to be Nintendo's death knell, and I think that's a little bit my point for the episode, is that, you know, everyone is quick to announce that Nintendo is going to fail, and then it never quite happens. I, 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 I didn't really mention it in the episode proper, but I've, I've reflected on it, and there's a charming nostalgia in how god-awful um, the bit wars were at the height of uh, 3DO, CDI... Okay. Jaguar, uh, Sega CD, and I am so incredibly thankful that Nintendo did not jump on that oh. trend. <laughs> well, especially Jaguar running around saying they were running a 64-bit machine. 64 Techni bits! Te oh, techni technically, they were. Well, they were never lying, but... They, they were. It did, it did add up to a total of 64 bits, uh, but I think... I think the Jaguar was a necessary evil because it demonstrated uh, that perhaps this whole bit war thing uh, was basing quality on something that actually didn't represent quality. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was quick to uh, announce a number without having a reason for that number, and I think that that it was adorable. We, we, let's we be honest. Gotten to that. Um, <laughs> it, it it was charming. Yeah, it's like um, we're big boys now. Look at our sixty-four bits. Go away and sit in the corner. All right. Um, yeah. We apparently have an overall theme. That That's a thing. Uh, so Sharla said some nice things to us. We're very sorry that she lives in Tennessee. <laughs> As the fellow Tennessee and I'm, I feel we, we're sorry together. Well, we're also sorry that Mac lives in Tennessee. 
We love you, Mac. Uh, I understand. Yeah, I think I feel you. Jay Scarp <laughs> brought up this idea that Nintendo seems to have this particular double standard where if they make a Zelda game, they get accused of making another Zelda game when um, EA and Ubisoft have sort of perfected making another thing. Uh, you mean another FIFA? Well, yeah, another Because that's some talentedness right there. Well, I mean, and part of that is just, um, I think, down to marketing, because, you know, uh, EA Sports is happily, just happily ready to throw the last uh, sports title under the bus. Like, they, they will say, you know, you know, when it comes time to announce FIFA 17, they will say, Oh, yeah, FIFA 16 was garbage. Thank God we have FIFA 17 now. Whereas, <laughs> whereas Nintendo just sort of sits there and says, So... It's new Mario. He jumps and wears outfits. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it's so tough because there is an argument for not spending so much time revisiting older IPs and instead creating new IPs. But at the same time, there is something to be said for legacy, especially if what's being done with that legacy is quality, right? Yeah. And that's it. Like, I feel like, uh, and um, Nintendo has always been damned if they did and damned if they didn't, right? Like, had Breath of the Wild not caught uh, the particular buttons of the fandom, they would have gotten smeared for not producing Ocarina of Time again, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, there's there's a very real sense if... Well, and there there, there would be a, a silent minority... Uh, that's out there that is just not feeling this Zelda in particular because it is open world and and it isn't uh, prescriptive in how to proceed. Uh, but I mean, you can't please everyone all the time at the same time, right? Yeah, I mean, no one's going to be, and that that's another thing that may have been lurking in the background of, of uh, our last episode is that no one's going to be happy no matter what they did. And um, Zelda is just a handy recent example of that where, you know, e- even that they did a lot of things right from what I can see, and I will happily grab it on my Wii U sometime in July, maybe. I don't know. Can I still be angry about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe? Because I would like to be mad about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, because that one's bull. That That is absolutely well, not You can be mad about anything you want. No, but I'm just Why saying... Is that- because Very I simple. would happily give them money to have that same content on, on my, my Wii, Wii U for the game that I already have. Right, but uh, this is a system that they are anticipating a lot more people will own than the people who own well, the Wii U. Here's, here's my question, though. Then why the hell did I pay for a season's pass being promised lots of content? And now I am not getting said well, content. We, hey, we got, hey, they gave me what don't they, ever buy hey, season I bought, passes. Listen, when I listen. bought the season pass <laughs> for it, they gave me what they promised. But what I'm saying is that if you wanted to give, I would give you ten more dollars for the battle mode you're offering. That, to that's what I mean. Switch like customers. I saw the battle mode. Scott and I sat there and were like, "Great! So you're putting that on the new console, but you couldn't have put it the first time around on the old console." Listen, I I too am butt hurt about the battle <laughs> mode on the Wii U being a piece Mario of- Kart being so awful because that was my biggest gripe. On what was otherwise an excellent game. It was excellent. That's why it my was. heart was broken by battle mode. But to to that point, Sam, uh, you, you don't have to pick up this new Mario Kart. We won't, probably. Because we're probably not going to get a Switch. But uh, I will, and I already have it on the Wii, and I already have the season pass for the Wii one, and uh, I just know that I'm going to play with a lot of people that I already have on my friends list on my Switch, and I'm going to play battle mode, and I'm going to have a great time. 
I'm just I'm disappointed, okay? Switch. You're allowed to be disappointed. I understand. I just yep. I don't understand how they totally screwed the pooch on that one. Well, Here's a shiny new thing. Well, the Wii U is how they screwed the pooch on that one, and that's a whole well, other story. To, I, I, I guess the only argument I would put in, in Nintendo's defense, uh, would they really want to allocate resources on a system that they've essentially already made dead? Oh, I know. Uh, I'm just what, saying, what, why was it not When When they sooner? could be focusing those resources on their uh, their new uh, thriving console. Well, then why, <laughs> why do Mario Kart... 8 Deluxe at all. That's wow. actually then a different issue. Okay, Nintendo has always sort of left oh, things oh, for you're, dead. You're, you're, okay, well you're within. gonna have the Switch <laughs> you're, you're gonna have the Switch out. Didn't we just have you're this gonna, podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's really weird that Nintendo gives uh, current hardware up for dead the second they announce new hardware. Because, I mean, we, we see Sony and Microsoft happily supporting machines for years into the next gen's life cycle. And... It's weird to see them go from a scenario where the NES didn't stop getting games till 1994 uh, to now, you know, they, they killed anything on the Wii U, not when, not this March when the Switch came out, but in October when they announced the Switch's release that's, date. That's because uh, how, they were how many, how many, that system how, other than how, just how many, that. How, how many? Uh, sorry, oh, yeah. I, I I hate to oh. interject in, uh, on on you, Mac, but I can't let this slide. Um, how oh, many Nesses were sold? Yeah, fair enough. But I'm but I'm saying this happens every time. This they they do this every time. They announce a new machine, and the current machine is just dead. And they lose things, and they refuse. They they kill localization projects to do it. And yeah, yeah, the NES didn't move hardware in 1993 or 1994. But they were happy to let games come out on it that hadn't hit America yet. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, e even though this, this this Wii title is doing just fine in Japan and it could have come out here, we announced the Wii U, so we can't let that slide. Well, in this case, there's not a whole lot still hanging. They just kind of let this go a I long time ago, Project and now it's Giant officially robot. dead. <laughs> I know, I know. No, you didn't. You may, you may get the next thing from that, though. I know. But till then... I need food, man. So. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. And of course, you can comment on our forums or tweet at any of us. We're pretty easy to search by our name, uh, even if we announce ourselves as uh, ducks this episode. Not that I'm frustrated. <laughs> You're no. fine. I'm Mac. I'm Sam. And he's fine. <sighs> All right. So until next month, when we will have a brand new topic... Feel free to visit the rest of the things we do at RP Gamer. Uh, see you around. Good night. Mbasa. The Active Topical Banter Show is an RP Gamer production. Visit rpgamer.com for past episodes, comments, sections, other great podcasts, as well as piles upon piles of written content. All music is courtesy of OCRemix.com, composed by Nobuo Oimatsu. Thank you for listening.
was a rush on comments the night we announced recording, and by announced we meant we we had our Twitter hashtag, and then nothing happened. And then nothing because happened. Trent was ill, poor but baby. You, who, the people who rushed to comment, understanding that you had two hours to sneak into the feedback section and presumably also listen to the blooper section. I have to wonder if we did this live, would you show up? I don't know. Like, I can put this out over the RP Gamer YouTube channel with minimal fuss. Mm, I'm gonna go well, probably uh, not. Probably it's a little not. bit scary, isn't it? Like, I, I, the nice thing about a podcast that's fully produced by you, Scott, is that a lot of the filler gets cut out. And saved <laughs> There's for, a lot of filler. And saved for later. <laughs> at least there feels like there's a lot of filler at times. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I, I, realize, I, I realize I do my job. Like, yes. no, 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 I'm not going to pretend I'm not doing my job here. But at the same time, I feel like you, dear listener at home who rushes to comment, might appreciate chilling out after recording. And even if it's just me or Trent shooting the shit, maybe. <laughs> Is that a thing? There's going to be a poll with this episode, probably. Just, just vote. Life is like a hurricane here in... Duckburg. Let's get on with the show before I sing the whole song. Race cars, acers, airplanes. Airplanes. It's a duck blur. <laughs> Thank you, Trent. <laughs> hey, we're getting we're getting Ducktales re-released. Ooh. So this is apropos. Disney's gonna sue us, which means people will pay attention because Disney sued us. That's true. I got a dog in my crotch. <laughs> No, like, he, sometimes he, that happens. Yeah, I mean, he keeps putting this, 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 he, he this keeps putting occurs. his head through my legs, and it feels weird. Brutus, stop that, you pervert! I'm playing Xenogears on my Vita. I I'm want Final Fantasy. Oh man, we only had to call once to get everyone on it. Note the date. First time in three years. Also, he's giving himself his own high five. Well, sometimes you just gotta. Give yourself a high five. You gotta self-flagellate high-fiving. Look, 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 when achievement, when achievo gets unlocked, you gotta do something. No no self-flagellation. I know it's Pants Off Podcast, but there has to be some boundaries. It's so tra- it's so tragic. It is just Persona 4 dancing all night, not Persona. I, I, rem- I remember when I got to the end of FES, and I was like, finally, like I'll have some resolution, and maybe we can have a happy ending. And then it's like, well, he no, dies. we can't. No, all, all, all it is is everyone else finds out what happened to him. And that, like that's great. <laughs> he, he was Jesus. It's fine. I think that's the hardest I've ever had to work for a Blue Balls ending. You should have. Chie won the Waifu Wars. We need to honor her. Hey, the baby's release date is like a working designs <laughs> game. You never know exactly when it's coming out. Oh what my god, that analogy. is the best analogy! <laughs> make, make with the working! Your wife is tired and has see, things she wants oh, to do. See, you know, it shows, it, it shows a lot that my wife doesn't even know that there's not going to be an April Fool's episode. Cause, why, why isn't there? Because I put all the blooper content after the credits. Mm-hmm. 
Well, we're just gonna have to make a lot of screw ups today then. <laughs> Alright. I have I have an introduction also in, in the works. It'll be great. Scott's gonna be really what upset. Is, what is the introduction? No no, we uh, just you'll know. It's about time we got started. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you, Hank. Aww. You'll you'll know as soon as I say it. Okay. Okay. I might be too sober for this. <laughs> okay. I, think we all are. I don't so. even drink, but I feel like I need to now. How long have you dealt with me, Michael Cunningham? <laughs> uh, you should know better. Happily, happily for a long time. That's right. All right, let's go. All right, in two, like one.